Does artificial intelligence have a sense of smell? Welcome to The AI Show with John Kutsir. see today is built to solve simple problems, sorting Legos into different colors or different shapes. Intel is building AI chips with neuromorphic architecture to solve more complex real-world problems, real-world problems that you can solve with less training than most AI systems require today. To talk to us about that, we've got Mike Davies, the director of the Neuromorphic Computing Lab at Intel Corporation. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to us a little bit about what you built. Uh, you built something very, very interesting to give AI a sense of smell. Yeah, sure. That's That uh, sense of smell, this capability to learn and recognize odors, is really the one of the more recent applications that we've uh, developed on our Loihi chip. And the, the chip itself is a, is a general neural computer, you could kind of think of it as being uh, inspired from the way the brain works at the kind of the lowest level that we have any real understanding of, which is, you know, the neurons and the connections and the temporal processing that, you know, that our brains are performing at, you know, continuous in real time. So that's, that's the the chip is Loihi. And yeah, this is, this is some research we've done in collaboration with, with neuroscientists over several years now, and it's just recently published. So talk to me about why you tackled this particular problem. Well, it's a really interesting one from a couple uh, different perspectives. So in in general, you know, there's so much we don't understand about the brain, right? It's still a mystery after, you know, decades of of neuroscience uh, to, uh, science and, you know, many, many intelligent people thinking deeply about it, studying it. But one area that we do understand or, you know, relatively is is olfaction. So the sense of, you know, the circuits in in our brains related to smelling. And and in general, what we see is, you know, the further out from the core cognitive parts of the brain, the cortex, you know, as we go to the edge of the peripheral nervous system and, and, and the sensory processing, that's where we have, you know, kind of relatively better understanding of, of what's going on in this uh, mysterious black box of the brain. So, so it's just an area that was well understood in the sense that there were low level neuroscience models that we could abstract to the point of being able to map them into the feature set that, that our Loihi chip supports. And it's also just from a machine learning perspective, it's a, it's a difficult problem that deep learning doesn't necessarily solve that well. So especially when you consider the, the efficiency of learning, you know, how, how, how many samples are, are required to right. achieve a, a good level of classification. And that's typically an issue, right? I mean, needing so much big data, if, if not tons and tons of data to be able to, to, to make determinations on future instances that it sees, but you found a way to make that much quicker. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the with a network we have, we can effectively learn with single examples. So with just showing one kind of clean presentation of an odor, you know, kind of a 70-dimensional vectorized representation of an odor, we can we can store that in this high-dimensional representation in the chip and then it allows it to then recognize variety of of noisy, corrupted, occluded odors like you would be faced with in the real world where you have 
have wow. you know all you know bombarded with all kinds of you know different smells and it will you know be able to detect at very faint you know corrupted levels that particular learned pattern that is really really interesting is that somewhat analogous to how a human might learn based on seeing one image of let's say uh, a tiger and being able to recognize a tiger again or smelling an apple and recognizing that again Exactly, exactly. That's that's really what we are, you know, one of the main things we're trying to understand and, and map into silicon in our program is is the brain's ability to learn with single examples or very few examples, you know, which is which is kind of the opposite of the deep learning tool that we have today built on, you know, backpropagation, which it, it can solve some incredible problems, but it requires lots and lots and lots of data. And it's learning in very slow incremental steps. And that's that's just different from how we intuitively think of learning. You know, if you look at a toddler or an infant and, you know, you, you present single examples, you know, and immediately, you know, if, if it's that tiger that they've seen for the first time, they'll they'll learn it forever based on a yes. few examples. And, yes. and what's even more amazing is that they'll learn a cartoon of a, of a tiger. They'll recognize something that looks nothing like the original input you may have presented through this automatic process of abstraction that our, our brain is performing. So, And is that analogous to what you just said, where you, you, you talked about occluded samples or samples where it's not clear what the smell is, but it, it's there, but it's, there's something else with it. Is that equivalent? Exactly right. We're what what our chip and this algorithm is doing is it's searching, you know, the data that's presented to it for snippets, you know, little subsets of this pattern that it uh, recognizes, and and it will suppress the the noise just automatically through this very efficient parallel search process, and and so it's it's kind of understanding the real salient important parts of that odor representation and, you know, kind of intuitively you could think of as ignoring the parts that is just clutter and noise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Talk to me about error rates, because one of the challenges that we have as humans is we see something, we see a specific and we make a generalization based on that specific. So one, we see one example and boom, hey, we, we, we know what reality is. Are you seeing similar things with your system? So for this uh, particular example that we've we've demonstrated and published, that that's not necessarily a part of, of of it. This is really an ingredient on the path towards that larger goal. I mean, that's that's really a very hard problem of of AI is to understand this kind of generalization and abstraction process. You know, this hierarchical understanding of you know the constituents that together uh, form the pattern that we recognize as the the whole. So so that's that's ongoing work and you know we expect to you know make progress and build on this example of olfaction but you you can think of this as this is what we have now with this odor perception is the first layer it's recognizing just the raw data and and now what does that mean you know how does that connect to other concepts you know is this a good odor or a bad odor is it you know if it's an apple you know what type of apple is it this kind of next level more subtlety and generalization is something that you know will be future work Super interesting, right? I mean, you can think of in a, in a human sort of context, okay, I recognize the smell of apple. Now I attach to the concept of this green thing, but also maybe this red thing, other things like that. Maybe I attach to the concept of being hungry or something to eat or other things like that. Super interesting what you're building there. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about what AI technologies or techniques you used in doing this work? 
Well, we are uh, from a from a conventional computing perspective, it's it's uh, super exotic because it doesn't look like a a conventional processor, and it, it doesn't even look like a conventional deep learning accelerator. So, in in the conventional AI world, you know, everyone, you know, speaks of uh, multiply accumulation operators, you know, max, you know, how many max per second or per watt can you compute? And in this technology that we're using, we don't have a single Mac. You know, we're not even using that same basic computational primitive to solve these problems. So we're, we're taking more of a first principles perspective of rethinking computing based on what we find in the brain, you know, ignoring or forgetting everything we know about conventional ways of designing and computing chips and and instead just trying to kind of reverse engineer and understand the principles of what is the brain doing and and you know mapping that into silicon that so that, is, that's the basic technology yeah that is super interesting that almost harkens back to how uh, people tried to do ai researchers tried to do ai maybe a couple decades ago really trying to you know how does the brain work and map that onto silicon yeah, this field, I mean, this approach is, I, I mean, it dates back, yeah, quite a long time. I mean, the original perceptron, you know, this was Rosenblatt, you know, did this and and is really the inspiration for all of the deep neural networks and this artificial neural network model that's, uh, you know, come to fruition, you know, in the past decade. That dates back to, you know, the 1950s, I believe it was, you know, where he had an entire, you know, machine room, a whole system the size of a, you know, cabinet, which was implementing one neuron. So that, that, that idea has been around a long time. And, uh, you know, more recently, this, this approach that we're taking is dates back into the 80s with Carver Mead and work that was done at Caltech, which, you know, is, is, is taking, you know, a more modern look at what's understood from neuroscience. But still, it's, you know, that's now three decades ago. And, you know, we're still working on getting this to a point of commercialization where, you know, it can provide real world value. But 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 yeah, the, these ideas have been around a long time. The brain, in fact, was an inspiration for, you know, John von Neumann and Alan Turing, you know, way back at the genesis of of the computer architectures that we're using today. So yes. yeah, this has always been a vision of, of computing, certainly. Interesting. So talk a little bit about some of the challenges or problems you had as you're building this. Did you come into some dead ends? What, what problems did you have as you were building it out? Most of the problems we had were, uh, I would say, the more mundane engineering types of, of, of challenges. We, we had the benefit of bringing a really unique design technology into this program when we started it, an asynchronous design methodology, which is, which is different from how chips are conventionally designed. But the brain is an asynchronous machine. It's, uh, it doesn't have this global clock, which is present in all the, all, all the conventional chips that are produced. It happens to be that my, my group came from a background of a startup company doing Ethernet switches with this asynchronous uh, technology. So we had that available. But because it's so different, there's, there's a lot of challenges in building chips with a, a, a different methodology that doesn't mm -hmm. conform to the standard method. So it, it, you know, it gets very technical in terms of the particular problems, but everything from, you know, design entry to verifying that the functionality is correct and as expected and, and just conforming to all the standard quality checks that, you know, Intel would, would require for chips that we fab. But yeah. so that, that those are mainly the problems we had. 
Interesting. So you've released the research, you're working on commercializing it. Uh, what's the current status? When, when will this be out there and, and what else will it work for? Well, the chip is, in a sense, it's it's out there. We have it, it's it's really restrict. It's a research chip, and we've built a number of systems around this now, and a whole software stack, and and we made this available to a whole network of of research collaborators, you know, in, in academia and government, and even you know a number of corporate groups now. So we have about a hundred groups around the world using the chip and helping to advance it and to to a commercialization point. And you know the the challenge there is really connecting it the the basic hardware capabilities, developing the software, the methodologies, the algorithms that that then solve real world problems, and 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 so that that's really the the challenge we're at. And you know almost all of our focus now is on is on that problem, working with all of these collaborators. I think there's there's good progress. There's, you know, things like this olfactory example, which we can already see some real world, you know, uses for it. And and another a number of other promising kind of avenues like that. So it, it, it's hard to put concrete predictions on it, but I think we're dealing with, you know, a, a matter of a, a, a few years, you know, five years, maybe at most before we'll see this in the real world. Sure. What kind of sensitivity are we talking about here? I mean, are we talking dog level sensitivity? Are we talking beyond that? The it's hard to equate it to human capability because we've evaluated this on a on a kind of a an abstract data set which which isn't calibrated in that way. But I think one general property of this is if you and and we see this in many examples in this neuromorphic domain is as you as you give the network the problem more resources you know more neurons in this case you can achieve yes. greater levels of sensitivity so it's it's really a spectrum of how how much you know how how, how many resources how many chips how much memory do you throw at this problem <laughs> to achieve you know like superhuman or less than human depending on what the application you know would would require and you can imagine a lot of you can imagine a lot of applications there, right? I mean, from from testing mm. from food safe testing to, to is something rotten or is it still fresh to security applications, sensors to sniff out perhaps explosives or other things like that. I mean, what are exactly. some of the applications that you've thought of? Yeah, well, you've named two exactly right there. You know, <laughs> measuring or detecting hazardous chemicals. You know, in manufacturing settings. You know, potentially even disease diagnosis. So there's some really intriguing research about being able to smell kind of the chemical byproducts of, of various diseases, including cancer. You know, that that you know just from someone's you know breathing, basically. So so yeah, there's we're at, at Intel. We're unlikely to take a product like that to market, but we would certainly partner with others and enable, you know, those kind of applications. There's the challenge of the sensor side of that as well. And that, you know, we see that in, in all many of the applications we look at, you know, on at the edge in that the, the data needs to be presented in a manner that's suitable for for this kind of neural processing. And that that's sometimes just as hard a problem as the the computation side. Sure. It's really interesting to me because we have a lot of sensors for visual things, right? If you look at smart home or you look at smart cities, that sort of thing, you have a lot of sensors for visual data. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of sensors for auditory data, right? I'm speaking into one right now. So are you. Everybody who's listening <laughs> right now has one of those, right? You you have you have sensors for other things like heat, particulate matter, right? I've got I've got a sensor in my house that senses how much particular matter particulate matter 
is, is, is floating around in the air. But smell is one that really haven't, we really haven't exploited so far. And it kind of adds to the entire picture. You can really see how that could be a part of a whole smart city, smart office, smart work, smart factory, uh, smart home type of scenario, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a underappreciated sense. In fact, it's really the evolutionary speaking, it's the oldest sense that's been around. I mean, the very earliest bioorganisms basically smelled, you know, they detected chemicals and, and, and that's what's, you know, survived all these, you know, a billion years. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, maybe it's time has come. And, you know, once we have the sensing and the compute technology, it'll be a recognized first-class citizen along with vision and others. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Now put your futurist hat on for just a second. Walk us out three to five years, something like that. Where do you see this technology? What do you see as the capabilities? And where do you see as the implementation? So there's many possible uh, applications across different segments of computing. It's it's really a, a general purpose computing architecture is a way to think about it, just a very different one from our conventional style. So, you know, you can find applications at the edge and, and you know, all the way to, you know, the most lowest level sensory processing, like we've been talking about, you know, odor detection, you know, at, at very low power levels, battery operated devices that could be distributed to, you know, more, more intelligent processes at the edge. So robotics is one where we see a lot of promise. Now, robotics is another one where there's, you know, the compute is not the only problem there. There's, of course, all the manufacturing and the, you know, the mechanical aspects, which have to be cheaper and uh, more robust. But but neuromorphic control is, is very, very well suited for that problem. That is basically why brains evolved, is to control bodies and limbs and articulate things. So so that's, that's an area where you're, you're processing real-world input, you know, from whatever sensor modality you have, and you need to make real-time decisions about how to, to move or respond. And, and that's what brains are good at, and that's what this, this architecture is really good at. So we could see this going into, for example, a manufacturing setting. You know, that's where robotics has taken off so far. And, and so we could see neuromorphic chips processing data more adaptably, you know, more faster in real time, which would allow us to just have more productive assembly lines, you know, defect detection and, you know, being able to screen and monitor all parts as opposed to, you know, in real time, as opposed to just sampled parts that would boost quality and productivity of our factories. Very, very, very interesting. Well, I just want to thank you for being on with us. This has been Mike Davies from Intel and really appreciate being with us. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the AI show. Whatever platform you're on, please like, subscribe, share, comment, rate it, review it. That'd be a great help. Until next time, this is John Kitsier with the AI show.